Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 202nd episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. So what can parents do to raise confident and resilient teens? How do you reduce sibling rivalry? How do you stop being the homework, screen time, food, sleep warden? To address these issues, I have invited Sue Groner to be our guest. As the founder of The Parenting Mentor, a multifaceted platform for parents looking for guidance in raising emotionally healthy, self-resilient children, Sue provides simple and effective parenting strategies with the goal of reducing everyday stress and anxiety that inevitably comes from being a parent. Sue becomes a roadmap that shifts perspective to help parents be happier and more relaxed. Sue is the author of Parenting with Sanity and Joy, 101 Simple Strategies, the host of the Parenting Mentor Sessions podcast, and a certified positive discipline parent educator. So welcome, Sue Groner. Thank you. I'm excited to have a conversation with you, Colleen. Yeah, me too. So the first question that I ask all my guests is, are you a parent? And if so, what are the ages of your kids? I am indeed a parent. My daughter is 25 and my son is 23. My daughter is 26. So we have, they're similar ages. Okay. (laughs) All right. So you are the parenting mentor. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. My goal as the parenting mentor is to help parents be happier and more relaxed parents to kind of ease and reduce the everyday stress and anxiety that just inevitably comes with being a parent. You know, I feel like nobody is exempt from that. And 
So that's where my focus is. Of course, all the strategies and the perspective really end up helping the kids too. Mm -hmm. But my goal is really to help parents. And so I I do that either one-on-one in small groups. And then I've been doing a lot of work with, with corporations to help support their working parents. Yeah. I focus a lot on, on moms and kind of going deep with them. Cause I think it's really, and that's my audience. I think it's just a really hard season to be a mom. And so I really like to support them. And so that's what we're doing today. Yes, we are. <laughs> What can moms do to help raise confident and resilient teens? That's a big question. Yeah. And it's kind of an, in a way, it's kind of an easy answer. It's an easy answer and a really hard thing to implement. And that is stop fixing things for your kids. Mm. Stop either fixing or stop organizing so things are never uncomfortable. So I think one of the biggest things to raise resilient kids is to allow kids to have the opportunities to be able to become resilient, right? Mm, if you're never comfortable, if you never feel disappointment or frustration or worry or anger or any normal human health, these are all healthy emotions too, then you never learn the coping mechanisms and you never learn problem solving skills. And then you have, then you don't get resilience, Mm -hmm. right? The Mm -hmm. more opportunities that you have to do these things, the more you realize that you can get through these feelings. You can get through these difficult, uncomfortable situations. And then you have the confidence that you can. Right. So I think as moms, it's our nature to just want to like see our kids happy all the time and not Mm -hmm. have to experience anything that's uncomfortable. I used to call those feelings bad feelings, but I don't think they're bad now. I think they're uncomfortable feelings. That's yeah. And so I like to use that word. I think that our like maternal instinct has over evolved. And so we want to protect our kids from anything uncomfortable. Yeah. But when we do that, it's also really hard for us. It causes us a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I have to make sure that this doesn't happen. So my kid doesn't feel this way or, you know, so you want to, it's like that whole lawnmower, snowplow parent thing, or it's the one that jumps into fix when there is a problem. So instead, if we look at that problem and we say to ourselves, this is okay, this is a good opportunity for my child to be able to develop some coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. to work on problem solving skills, Mm -hmm. to become more self-reliant, and then ultimately become more resilient. Mm -hmm. And so we need to, before we jump in to do that, we need to ask ourselves, if I do X in the fixing or the preparing category, will I help my kid to do those things? So many parents, I'm sure you've heard this too. I just want my kids to be happy. Right. Yeah. You know, what does that actually mean? You know, what is happy? 
because I'm a happy person. Am I happy all the time? Like with a big (laughs) smile on my face? Of course not. That's so unrealistic to think that our kids can be that way. So to me, instead of saying, I want my kids to be happy, I like to think, I want my kids to be able to handle being unhappy, Mm -hmm. handle being disappointed, handle Mm -hmm. frustration. And then they know, and we know that when they can do that, they're going to go out into the world and they'll be able to deal with whatever it is that life throws at them. That is very, very wise. And I completely agree with you. And I think another factor to that is that moms don't like to be uncomfortable. Like if we see our kids uncomfortable, we get uncomfortable and that our imaginations can go to the worst scenario. And because we're uncomfortable, then we panic and try to jump in there and fix it. I think also it makes us uncomfortable when our kids are uncomfortable. You know, that saying, that's what I mean, happy as your least happy child. Mm -hmm. But I think this perspective can change that Mm -hmm. and can make us say, okay, these are good things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it takes practice. That's a big perspective shift. Mm -hmm. And I think when we see that our kids can, in fact, handle these situations, that they do get through it, each time it's helpful. It's helpful for us also. Yes. And it's also a good thing that when you do see your kid get through it, that you say, hey, you know, do you notice like you don't even think about that thing anymore or you got through that. You, you should feel good about that. Acknowledge it so that the next time something happens and even say, you know, the next time something similar to this happens, you're going to be in a much better situation because you will mm-hmm. remember that you got through it this time. Yeah, I agree. So identifying and pointing out to your kids where they are being resilient is really helpful because they don't notice it sometimes. Another thing that moms like to do is to hide their own uncomfortable feelings from their kids. And I think that's also kind of a mistake because if we use the vocabulary, I mean, with teens and tweens, it's unnecessary. They probably know it all. But like with littler kids, like when you start to say mommy's really uncomfortable or mommy's really disappointed, or mommy's really frustrated because then they can start to learn that language. And, you know, to start expressing that to your kids, not to dump on them, but to, and not to ask for help, but to say, oh, I'm so frustrated right now because blah, 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 you know, or I'm so bummed. I was supposed to have this dinner tomorrow night. I'm so looking forward to it. And Now so-and-so got COVID and we can't go or whatever the situation is and be disappointed. Like to not be disappointed would be weird. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, Hey, you know, this is normal to feel this way. And then your child will see you and then they'll see that you're fine. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world. Like you manage. And so we're modeling that also I feel like the more we say to our kids, the more we try to fix and the more we say to our kids, and I used to do this when my kids were little, oh, honey, don't worry, it'll be fine. Or don't be sad, it's okay. 
We're mm-hmm. saying don't have those feelings. Those feelings are bad. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have those feelings no matter what. But when they start to hear, I have this feeling and it's bad and I shouldn't have it, then they get anxious about those feelings. I think that's where a lot of teen anxiety comes from. It's that doubling down when I have the feeling and I shouldn't. I have the feeling I need to get my mom to fix it for me. You know, when you have kids in college calling their parents, calling their moms, mom, this happened. I don't know what to do. You have to help me. That's not healthy. Right. I also know a lot of moms, and they've told me this, who have been in my programs, is that they'll go in their room with their daughters and they'll try to cheer them up. Mm-hmm. They'll try to, come on, it's not that bad. You really have friends. It's okay all that. And they're cheering them up. They're trying to make them happy. And that just ticks the daughter off. Yeah. And so she gets mad at her mom. Like, you don't get it. You don't understand. And then the mom loses it. And so she ends up yelling at her daughter because her daughter's not getting happy. So (laughs) (laughs) all of us have tried it. It just doesn't work. And I think what we are saying that I really agree about one of the biggest gifts that we can give our kids is having confidence in them and their ability that they actually could figure it out. And I have this parenting method called CLEAR. It stands for communication, love, empathy, awareness, rules, and respect. And like that stuff works so great with teens, but the respect piece is the one where parents get the most tripped up on because I'm your parent, you respect me. What do you mean I'm supposed to respect my kids, right? But the respect of you're a smart kid, I know you can figure this out for yourself is a huge piece. And you're saying like the kids get so angry. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to do it. Really what they want is the emotional connection. And all that means is, honey, basically, I totally get why you feel the way you do. I get that must have been so hard for you to deal with that. That sucks, (laughs) you know, and just validate those feelings and or I remember when this something like that happened to me in high school it was horrible but I got through it look at me you know but I get it I know it's really hard and give your kid a giant hug maybe make them a cup of tea and that is where it stops the desire the our need as parents to fix them or to give suggestions like it's all totally out of a place of love so right. like if you're listening and you do that, like, don't think you're a bad person. Like I get, it. I used to do it, you know, right? until I realized that my kids didn't want it and it wasn't helping. I know you can get through this. That's it. They don't want you to say, maybe you should do blah, blah, blah. Or, oh my gosh, why didn't you just so-and-so do this or that? You know, like that's, even though it's loving, it's heard as judgment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when you start in with the fixing, then the child will hear judgment. They didn't do it. And the last thing a teen wants to hear from their parent is judgment. Right. I'm just going to say this again because it's so good. So when you get in the mode of fixing, then you really aren't being in a place of emotional connection 
one thing I talk about is the importance of trying to understand. Like, I get it. It's not helpful. You're trying to understand their experience and you can get it wrong. But if they really see that you're trying to understand them instead of fix them, then they feel connected. Yeah. We have to understand them. We don't have to understand the situation. We don't need the details. We just need to know how our kid feels right now and what experience, how they felt during that experience and how they feel now and validate that and hug point. Because Mm -hmm. then we're just giving them love and support. And that is it. And, you know, you can say if you want to brainstorm some ideas on how to handle it, I'm happy to help. If not, I'm sure you can figure it out yourself. That is all you need to do. Mm -hmm. And boy, will that change your relationship with your child? Yeah, I just have picture and picture of my mind of when they don't do that. You know, the girl shares that a guy did something that he shouldn't have done to her and mom takes it and then wants to call the school board and wants to go out and tell every parent and interview and be the investigator. And then the daughter will say, that's why I don't tell you things. Yeah. I mean, if the daughter's sharing that kind of stuff, it doesn't hurt to say, How do you think you should handle that? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Engage in the conversation, but ask them, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, we do do nothing. Okay, we could do nothing. What are the pros and cons of doing nothing? Mm -hmm. Right? And then you engage in this conversation together instead of this is how it has to be done or you're not doing it right or just, you know... The more that we engage in those kinds of non-judgmental conversations, the more our kids will share with us. Right. I completely agree. So I have another question for you. I haven't talked much about this on my podcast, but how do you reduce sibling rivalry, especially if there's a bunch of teens in the house? Well, assuming that you've been involved in the sibling rivalry, you know, where you're trying to play the referee or the mediator, I always suggest the best thing to do, sit down with your kids and say, you know what, you guys are teens, your guys are going to have issues with each other, you need to work this out by yourselves. I know that you have the ability to handle this yourselves. I'm out of the referee business. You guys do it yourselves. Then you're going to get a lot less of, she did this to me and he, she did that to me or he did this or any of that kind of stuff. And I think the root of that is who does mom love more? Hmm. Who's mom going to defend, right? And sometimes even the harmed victim, the victim will say, is also the instigator, Right. The harmed one knows what to do to instigate, how to instigate their sibling doing something to them. Then they go and they tell mom what happened. And then mom gives them love and gets angry at the sibling. And that is a cycle can happen over and over and over again. Being out of that whole discussion, like removing, really removing yourself from it. Mm-hmm will avoid a lot of that. And you know what? They're not idiots, these kids. They know how to have a conversation with each other. And, you know, go figure it out. 
If they're arguing in front of you, you can say, guys, time out for one minute. Please go in another room and have this conversation. I don't need to hear it. And that can be your boundary for these conversations because they are unpleasant to listen to. I hate it. I mean, my kids will squabble. They're very close and adore each other, thank goodness. But they will still squabble and it still bothers me. But I ask them not to do it in front of me. And if you're in the car and you're the one who's driving, I always suggest whether, no matter how old the kids are, pull over. Just pull (laughs) over and calmly and lovingly say, guys, I'm getting out of the car. You have five minutes to work this out. And then you just close the door and you give them five minutes. And then chances are they're going to stop arguing and they're going to figure it out or they're going to go, oh yeah, we're arguing. Like it just, it's a way to stop it in a way, even when you ask them to move to another place to continue the argument, it's sort of a little less fun all of a sudden, but it's also, you're not involved. And Mm -hmm. so it's healthier all the way around. That is really helpful. You know, sometimes, well, why did you get her new sweater? How come you didn't get me a new sweater? So that kind of language, that kind of discussion, I think the answer for that is when you need a new sweater, you'll get a new sweater. When you need something new, you get something new. Like every time we do something for one child and not for the other, it's okay because it evens out. I would say if you're going on a vacation and you buy one kid a gift and you don't buy the other, well, that's not very nice. You know, I can't imagine anybody doing that. But Mm -hmm. when it's just like need-based, it's need-based. I love it. It's true. It's common sense. I mean, actually, a lot of the stuff I talk about, it's not brain surgery. (laughs) And a lot of times my clients will say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I never thought of that. You're in the thick of it. You're trying to get through the day. You're trying to have your machine working without any mishap. So it's natural not to be able to think of all these things. And I have, like you do now, the benefit of the retroactive crystal ball. You know, I can look back now and I can say, oh my gosh, all this stuff that I worried about happening Right. And that anxiety about happening didn't. You know, a teenager, a 15-year-old still has 10 years of brain development ahead of them. 10 years is a lot. If you think <laughs> of what your child, how your child changed from 5 to 15 and now go 15 to 25, I think that in and of itself is a big exhale for parents. Like, yes. oh my God, I never thought of that. Like, wow, that's a lot of time and a lot of years to still grow and evolve. Yes, such a good point. And what I know is you get hooked. So I wrote Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter. I wrote that really when I was in it. Mm -hmm. I wrote it not because I had been a therapist for 14 years and she was 12. I wrote it because I was like, oh my gosh. Like I had spoken at state conferences and was the big teenage expert. And then I like, oh my gosh, it's so easy to get hooked into this stuff. And I would lose it with my little 12-year-old. 
which is why I wrote the book. It's so easy to get hooked. And while I was laughing about what you said, it's common sense, but it's also so helpful because if you hear your kids arguing back and forth, it's going to push your buttons. Mm -hmm. So to remove yourself from that situation is so helpful. Yeah, but rather than you leaving the room, you have them leave the room. Yes. And that it stops them for a minute from what they're doing. Yes. And it, it kind of resets the conversation for them as opposed to just you just walking out. I'm going to ask you this question and I kind of think I'm going to know where you're going to go with it, okay. but we'll see. So how to stop being the homework screen time food sleep warden? Yeah. <laughs> So that is the worst job. It is the worst. Mom can have. It really is. And you know what? We don't have to have that job. We give that job to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So the screen time warden is the, you know, you have 15 more minutes, 10 more minutes. You have five more minutes. You know, you better be off that thing now, right? And it's like, God forbid they're on two more minutes. Like, first of all, we get to the point in our heads that if they're on for two extra minutes, that this is going to somehow negatively impact their life, right? And, right. and it doesn't. It will, it will not. I can assure you of that. But if your kid is capable of playing video games, using a phone, whatever it is they're doing, then they are also capable of learning how to manage that time on their own. So I feel like you start at the beginning and say, hey, you know, and this is where the clear method comes in, right? The awareness is, hey, this is awesome. I get why you love to play these games or I get why you like to be on social media or on your phone texting your friends. Like, I wish I had that when I was a kid. Like, it's a positive thing. Like, there's nothing bad about this stuff in moderation. And, you know, to be able to like have a conversation and make plans with all your friends in one text is amazing, you know, or to share stuff or to laugh together, like, and then to play games and these interactive video games and, or it's just downtime for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with watching, you know, mindless, stupid reality TV. You know, mm -hmm. these kids work really hard all day long to have a little time where it, they're not using their brains, where they're just have a relaxing time. It's not a bad thing. We think like every minute of the day of the waking hours have to be sent in some kind of growth way. And it's not <laughs> true. You acknowledge why they want to be on the device and how it's a positive thing. But, you know, it's not something that you can do all day long. And I know like you can really get hooked on it. Even I, you know, have to put restrictions to, for myself when on my phone use. Da, 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 da. And then what do you think is fair? How much time a day, how much time do you think like for each day or during the week is, is, is a good amount of time and hear what they have to say. So you're allowing them to help make the rules, which is again, a very, very respectful thing. Instead of them living in a dictatorship where you're allowed to have this much time and that's it, or I'm taking it away. 
right? I mean, there's nothing positive about that at all. So you hear what they have to say. And, you know, sometimes they're going to give you a number that's going to be less than you would have thought they would say. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it might be more. And either way, the response should be, oh, okay, well, I'm willing to give that a try, right? We're not setting down hard and fast rules. We're saying, okay, let's see how it goes. Try it for two weeks and then let's talk about it. But, or and, I don't like to use the word but, and you need to be the one monitoring your own time because I don't want to have anything to do with that. You don't need me to do that. I know you're capable of doing this yourself. Okay, cool. Cool, mom. Okay, how do you think you might do that? What do you think will work for you? And again, it's like if your child keeps forgetting something and, you know, you might say, do this, do it this way, do it this way. Everyone's brains are wired differently. And so what works for you may not work as a technique as for your child. So you need to let them be the ones coming up with the ideas. And by doing this, you're also introducing the concept of trial and error, which I love because there's no judgment in trial and error. There's judgment in mistakes and there's judgment in failure, even though those are good things and they help your child learn, blah, 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 blah. But trial and error assumes it's not going to work. And Mm -hmm. so it's an easier thing to work through. Well, let's try this. Let's talk about it in two weeks and see how well that worked for you. And if not, you can try something else. And, you know, you can sit there with your child and say, let's come up with a couple of different things. Let's brainstorm some ideas together. Some of these ways might be good. And then you can pick the one you want to start with. And then after two weeks, you sit back and you go, okay, well, how do you think it worked? Well, it might've been a complete failure and you need to start with something completely new. Maybe it's good, but needs a few tweaks. And you discuss it together and you work through. And what you're doing is teaching your kids unbelievable skills, life Mm -hmm. skills. So if they end up being on their screen 10 minutes more each day during that week, don't worry. Take a deep breath. It's not going to make a difference. Don't pull your hair out. Just (laughs) You can see what's going on. If it goes really a lot of extra time, you might want to say, hey, sweetie, I think you've outgone over your time. That's all (laughs) you need to do. And then let them deal with it. And if it's a two-week process and it happens every day that they're not, this isn't working out, then when you talk after those two, and you can't really say anything else other than that, can't get angry, you can't take things away. You just ride it out, knowing that in the end, this is something that your child will have learned to do, and you've really given them a gift. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with everything else. I mean, with homework, hey, you know, this is getting really tough. You know, I don't want to be the one, I shouldn't be the one to be telling you when to do your homework. And how to do your homework. And I truly think it's the school's responsibility. If they're really not getting their stuff done, then there should be natural consequences at school. 
And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. My daughter was a fabulous student, you know, high school, college, grad school, and a terrible procrastinator. (laughs) And, you know, I used to think that I would be able to fix this. And it drove me crazy. And I tried everything and nothing worked. And, you know, people say, what would you tell yourself now back then? And I would have said to just let it be that that's who she is for whatever reasons. And she will have the natural consequences of dealing with that. And I'm probably the only parent in the world who went to school for a teacher conference in high, I think she was a junior in high school. And I said, please, to all her teachers, could you stop cutting her slack? You know, I said, I keep telling myself she's going to have the natural consequences and you keep giving her extensions. And, you know, I'm like, you're not, you're not helping me here, guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, she also learned to work the system. She was delightful and charming and participated in class and teachers wanted to do that for her. And she's a very capable human being. And so at the end of the day, if your kid is doing well in school and they're procrastinating and they're not doing their homework the way you think they should, let it be. That's who they are. You know, (laughs) so not worth your energy, your anxiety to get involved. I mean, I wish I had known that. That's such helpful information. (laughs) Yes. All right. So you are the author of Parenting with Sanity and Joy. So is that possible for a parent to parent with sanity and joy? I think it is. I think it's so much of it is with perspective. Like the more that we tell ourselves that we don't have control, the kind of control that we want over our kids. You know, I I say that parenting is not an 18 year engineering project. Mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. really the direction that so many of us go in. Just we think that's what we're supposed to do, you know, and it's all, everything becomes so like performance based. Right. And the more we try to engineer our kids and make sure they're doing this, then they have to do it this way and they have to do it that way and they have to get this on their report cards and they have to have their rooms perfectly clean and look a certain way and be on stage and on the field and it's exhausting first of all it's super stressful for us because it doesn't work and so (laughs) we're always going to feel let down and then our kids are going to feel like they're letting us down and there's something wrong with them or why can't their parents just be proud of them the way they are and they're always a disappointment and there's just so much bad that comes from all of that Mm -hmm. that if our perspective is really again I go back to this helping our kids be resilient kids with good self-reliant with good problem-solving skills and good coping mechanisms then all of a sudden everything else is okay Mm -hmm. you know yeah because that's really you know they might be a great figure skater but you know the chances of them figure skating you know when they're adults (laughs) is small you know the (laughs) chance of them playing lacrosse when they're adults is small the chance of getting on a pro athlete team or being on broadway is small unless your child has like a real super passion for it let them enjoy it but it's not the end all and be all 
And I'm going to add in here something else that like, because I know a lot of parents struggle with this. Is your child who's now played a sport or an instrument for a long time and you've driven them to practices <laughs> and you've driven them to lessons and you paid lots of money for that instrument and all those lessons and all that extra coaching and blah, blah, blah. I get it. You're invested in that. And so that when your child tells you that they're done, mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like a punch in the gut. Right. And so our first reaction is you can't quit, right? And we don't quit. Quitting's bad. Da, da, da. The word quitting has such a negative connotation to it anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I like to always say that instead of saying quitting, let's say, giving myself the opportunity to try something new, Mm -hmm. right? And giving this, now I have the space and the time to try something new. And I feel like life should always, especially for young kids, but even like for me, I like my life to be in a V formation, right? So it gets wider and wider and wider. And so I have more experiences and more opportunities to try more and more and more. Yeah, And, you know, at some point, yes, you're going to have a passion and you may focus on that and you may, it may indent a little bit, but then let it come out again. And so think of it that way. And if your child like wants to be done with it and like genuinely done, why would you want them to continue doing something that's not bringing them joy anymore? Yeah, And then it's going to become an argument and then it's going to become all negative. Like, and these are things they should be doing because they love them. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, we could talk for a long time, but we are running out of time. So do you have a couple of parenting tips or strategies for the moms? Yes. Before? I do. Okay, okay, good. good. Number one in my book, which is 101 simple strategies, parenting with sanity and joy is say yes with joy does not mean say yes all the time. Mm -hmm. But when you know that you're going to say yes, Mm -hmm. when you know it's inevitable, mom, can you drive me here, please? Mom, can you take me to this? Mom, can you help me with this project? Mm -hmm. And you know they really need your help and you know you're going to do it instead of the... (sighs) Fine, (laughs) I'll do it. Give me five minutes. I have to finish this up. Right. And you're laughing. No. Right. Right. And if we're like, oh, now what do you want? If you say, sure, honey, I'd love to give me a few minutes to finish up what I'm doing and I'll be right there. Not only does it make your kid feel good, but it will change your brain. Like yes. it really changes the way you approach helping your child and it changes the way you feel about helping your child. It is amazing. When I started doing that, it was a huge difference. Right. Huge. Even now, you know, when my kids ask for some help, first of all, I love when they ask me now <laughs> because, you know, they're grownups, but I've become so conscious of that, of helping them do stuff for them because I can. And it's mm-hmm. time, you know, and also if you say, well, my kid needs me to drive them an hour to visit a camp friend. Okay. 
And, you know, that's an hour in the car and yeah, it could be a bit of a drag, but then you say, I get an hour in the car with my kid. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I get an hour by myself to listen to the book or listen to a podcast or listen to the music I love and sing with it. Like this isn't bad. (laughs) No, that strategy stuck out to me. I love it. And it's just so true because I think teens see adults as these big frowny creatures, you know, we're just frowning and huffing because our lives aren't that fun or we, we perceive it that way. Yeah. And just, yes, it could be that simple, but just saying yes with joy is such a good suggestion. Thanks. Another one that I think is really helpful is your child is not a mini me. Mm, That's very important. In certain ways, they're going to be so much like us. And because we all have egos, it feels really great. You know, even now, like my daughter's like sort of changed, evolved her wardrobe to dress like me. And we always joke about it because anyway, half the things she wears are things I gave her from my closet. But (laughs) (laughs) I remember, you know, I, when I was growing up, I had to be told to stop practicing the piano. I loved playing, gave me so much joy. My daughter wanted to play the piano. She played the piano, but she didn't love practicing the way I did. You know, and it was sort of like, oh, I have to practice now kind of a thing. And I remember saying to her, it doesn't seem like you really enjoy this so much. And she looked at me and she goes, mom, I'm not you. And I was like, it was like someone smacked me across my the side of my head. Like it was like, oh yeah, you're not. <laughs> like it was such a wake up call for me that, yeah. And you know what? You're not me. And that's totally fine. Like totally fine. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that's another really good one. And then my other tip, listen to what your kids are saying and do not read into it. Right. Mm. So here's a great example. I had a client who told me that she got up out of her sick bed on the weekend to take her child to some, it was some like a pitching clinic or something. And her husband didn't like driving her kids, the kids to these things. And if she didn't care. So she thought it was so important that her child attend this clinic that was a weekly thing. And, but she's sick and she's driving and her kid says to her, and she was a teenager, she's like, this clinic is so boring. And the mother's reaction was like, are you kidding me? I got out of my bed. I'm sick and I'm taking you to this thing. Like, and the mother was really annoyed and felt that her child was ungrateful. Mm -hmm. And yet all her child said, her child never said, Hey mom, why are you driving me to this? You know, I hate, she just said, this clinic is boring. And all the response needed to be was, yeah, I can see that. I can see you're doing the same thing over and over. You know, you're probably getting something out of it, but I can see that it's boring. You know, when the clinic is over, you don't have to do it again. In fact, you don't even have to play softball anymore if you don't like it. (laughs) And think how different that whole conversation would have gone and not necessarily for the benefit of the child, but for the benefit of the mom. Yes, yes. Aggravated and annoyed. She would have heard what her child said. This is boring. 
when her child says, I'm bored, they're not saying, entertain me. They're saying, I'm bored. And all you need to go, yeah, I get bored sometimes too. Want to help me fold the laundry? You know, <laughs> That's boring. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, well, there's so many things you can do. Go blah, 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 and do this and do that. No, just, yeah, I get it. You're bored. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, that's so true. I've heard thousands of those kind of conversations of the martyr mom mm-hmm. and the kid and the kid says one thing like that, that they take personally. It's a pattern that so many of us can fall into. So that's so helpful. Yeah. And I love that you said taking it personally, like teen daughters and their mothers. Yeah. Moms don't take this personally expect your teen to be sassy and rude and think you're an idiot. Okay. Because that's what they need to think (laughs) right now. It will pass (laughs) and just laugh to yourself or laugh at them. I said to my daughter the first time that she did this little sassy thing with her snapping finger (laughs) and the whole, and I'd been telling her since she was little that someday she was going to turn on me. You know, and she would like, I love you so much, mommy. You're the best. I want to live with you forever. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? (laughs) Just wait. You're going to think I'm an idiot. You're going to think I know nothing and you know everything and it'll happen, you know, and it'll be okay. And I said, you know, that, and this is like a great thing to tell your kids, you know, it's amazing. I get it. I remember being a teenager and thinking I knew everything. You know, and you really truly feel like you do and that you know more than your parents and your teachers and your coaches. And, but you don't realize that you don't know that much until you're older. And then you're like, oh my God, of course I didn't know everything back then. And (laughs) and so to sort of almost validate how they feel Mm -hmm. is kind of a cool, like, I get you, sweetie. You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to take it personally. And when my daughter did her thing, I looked at her and I'm like, aha, I told you. (laughs) And we laughed. Another time she did one and she was so good at it. And I said to her, oh, my gosh, Victoria. I said, that was like the perfect teenage thing. I said, did you practice that? Because it was really good. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I'll share one little story and then we'll wrap this up. So my daughter is probably 11 or 12. And she just kept saying, like, mom, that's so annoying. Like how I chewed my food was annoying. Like how I sat was annoying. What I wore was annoying. You know, that didn't feel good. And Mm -hmm. so it just kind of hurt. But then, because I'm a marriage and family therapist and I (laughs) saw this mother and daughter And the daughter was like, oh my gosh, my mom is so annoying. She's the same age as my daughter. Like the way she sits, the way she moves her toes, the way she like (laughs) stares. And it made me so happy because I was like, ah, it's not personal. They all do this stuff. And we want, in a way, we want them to do it because it's part of what It's age appropriate and they're supposed to. They're at this age where they need to find out who they are Mm -hmm. without being so attached. It's like that third third cycle. It's, you know, the 14 to 21 where they're kind of like 14, 15. They think you're an idiot and then they really need you. 
And that's this push pull thing. And you're yes, like, well, yes. they really need me, but well, why are you asking me? You told me the other day that, you know, you don't believe I mean, anything I have to say. It makes no sense. Like we don't want to go there. We don't want to do right. that. We right. Understand they still really need us. And they're really working to become their own people, which is hard and scary. And so when they're a little mean to us and when they tell themselves that we're idiots, it helps them to get to that point they need to get to. Yes. I agree. All right. So if the moms want to get in touch with you and learn more about you, where can they go? Well, my website is theparentingmentor.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram as the parenting mentor where I give tips, little tips. And I'm also doing that on TikTok now too with the, at the parenting mentor. And I have my own podcast where a parent will come on, discuss an issue that they're having, and I help work them through it with perspective and strategies. That's called the Parenting Mentor Sessions, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in being on it as a parent, reach out to me through my website or I'm sue at theparentingmentor.com um, or just DM me on one of those social media things. And of course, the low-hanging fruit is to get my book which is Parenting with Sanity and Joy. And that's available everywhere you get your books. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sue. I've so enjoyed this conversation. So have I, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms and Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, and that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.